Sheriff's Office investigating a homicide. Breaking news in Lee County right now to start your Friday morning. A death investigation underway right now. Tonight, a new investigation into one of the most notorious unsolved murders. Homicide cases in Lee County are still unsolved. I'm Lee County Sheriff Carmine Marcino. The fact is, some homicide cases go unsolved or cold every single year. These victims have no justice. No justice. And their families have no closure. no closure. Here in Lee County, Florida, we use every resource available to solve these crimes, including this podcast. We will not tolerate those who committed these crimes to walk among us any longer. Any longer. As sheriff, I promise to bring these criminals that committed these crimes to justice. to justice. I'll be opening these case files to you, the listener, with the hope that we will uncover a witness, fact, or evidence not previously reported. So please listen, and you just might hold the clue to help us close this case. This is Seeking Closure. Seeking Closure. Lee County's Cold Cases. This episode takes place in the summer of 2002. A woman who lived alone with her two dogs was tied up and brutally stabbed multiple times. Lee County Sheriff's Office case number 02-240780. Homicide. Welcome to episode two, friend or foe. It was a warm September day in a small community in Fort Myers, Florida. Kids were back in school. The wind was stale in the air and the heat of the day was at its peak. Towards the end of a dead end street named Louise Avenue was a small three bedroom gray house. It sits on the corner and is surrounded by a chain link fence. On September 13th, this neighborhood would be taken over by crime scene investigators. 911, what is your emergency? Yes, there's an emergency. Louise, please, something's wrong with my mother in law. Let me connect to the ambulance for a moment. Hi, my mother in law. She killed herself. Your address. Twenty-five-year-old David Simpson, along with his wife Jessica, would find David's mother, Sheila Foe, dead in a guest bedroom of her home on Louise Avenue. Deputies would immediately secure the crime scene and start interviewing the witnesses. When I arrived, the son was up on the front porch on the phone. I thought to 911, but he was on the phone to friends.
his wife was out at their vehicle in the driveway with their two small children. I asked him to step off of the porch. I asked him if anyone else lived there besides his mother. He said no. And I, at that time, opened the front door, looked inside, just saw a couple of small dogs inside on the one sofa. And about that time, Sergeant Brown got there. We both entered the home. Well, the TV was on. Sergeant Brown and I both noticed about the same time that her watch was broken laying on the kitchen floor. I saw a fork laying on the kitchen floor and I saw one little smudge of blood. I noticed her purse and looked like glasses were sitting on the kitchen counter. And at that point, not knowing if anyone else was in the house, we needed to clear the house too besides trying to find her. We checked then the next room, which was a dining room. I saw a couple of splatters of blood on, on the wall entering into a hallway, which went back into about three bedrooms. It was in the first bedroom that the door was shut. I just looked in there briefly. The second bedroom was where Sergeant Brown and I both saw the uh, female. She was laying flat on her back. The only thing that was on her was a shirt that was white with green and white sleeves. There was a bra underneath the shirt and it was the shirt was pulled up because I could see her bra, which was a black color and some other colors that was showing from the shirt not covering it. And then we could see that her neck was completely full of blood. There was a cord wrapped around the neck. There was also a real heavy weight chain down by her feet and she had her body was straight, her, her fists were clenched. There was a lot of blood around her neck and shoulder area, mostly on the floor where she was laying. I really didn't see it on the bed because she was on the floor. And then I went on back to the third bedroom, beyond that room, and I found her the shorts and the pink underwear in the third bedroom where I also found some more blood on the floor as well as there were, looked like handprints on the uh, sides of the closet. It looked more than splatters. It looked like somebody was struggling in the blood. We could see footprints all outside of that bedroom, uh, the second bedroom where she was found, and then also going up into the dining room, and we even saw a couple into the kitchen area. It looked like our old style of high-tech-like type loop. And then we went through the, back to the living room, into the uh, back bathroom, just to Basically, we were making sure there was no one hiding in the house. I came back out just to basically, you know, make sure that the daughter-in-law and the son stayed outside. The son stayed on the phone almost the entire time. At that time, everybody exited the house and you guys started a crime scene? Yes, yes. Sheila Foe would be found murdered in her own home with a gapping laceration to her neck and a coaxial cable tied around it as well. Sheila, a 46-year-old mother of three who recently went through a divorce of John Foe, her second husband and stepfather to her three children. Sheila was living alone in the home at the time of her death. Sheila lived a simple life, work and church being her primary focus. Working for a number of years with the Department of Agriculture, Sheila's job was to check traps and log them every day. These logs would lead to some unanswered questions we'll get into later on this episode. Sheila didn't drive to work. She would catch rides and take the bus from time to time. Well, I started working with the department back in 2001, and probably within six months, uh, she had gone through a divorce and uh, didn't have a consistent ride to work. She wasn't, her finances weren't such that she could afford a car. 
and she was walking to work across town. Naturally, you know, I, I offered her a ride to and from work. That was Rick Blaney, Sheila's co-worker at the Florida Department of Agriculture. Rick and Sheila worked together for about 10 months at the time of her death, and he was her regular ride to and from work. I knew Sheila for probably nine or 10 months. I, I'd known her previous to that because she had she did inspections in the nursery I worked at in Naples, but I worked directly with her for on, the, on that Thursday. I gave her a ride home from work and she asked if I could take her to the grocery store. Uh, she was out of milk for her cereal. So um, she asked me to go to USAFE on Palm Beach Boulevard. Um, on the way home, she changed it to, well, just take me to 7-Eleven. But I drove right by and, you know, it was, it was in my mind, it was set that we were going to go to USAFE. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, you know, that's fine. It'll probably be cheaper there. So we went to USAFE. She came out with a quart of milk and we went back to her. I took her back to her house then. Okay. Uh, typically, she would meet me at the end of Louise Street uh, on Marsh. Okay. Um, and get in the truck. We'd go to work. I'd drop her off at that point on the way home. Um, Friday morning, I went to pick her up. Uh, she wasn't there at the end of, of Louise, so I, I turned on her street and parked in front of her house went up and knocked on the door. No one answered. Um, I thought about trying the doorknob, actually reached out for it, but figured, no, she, maybe she just took the day off, had some business to do, something like that. It's really none of my business. Uh, so I got back in my truck and left. Um, wasn't until Saturday morning that I found out that, that uh, she had passed. Um, my wife read it in the paper and brought it to my attention. Rick would be one of the last people to see Sheila alive. Sheila Foe, an honest, God-fearing woman, lived alone in her small home on Louise Avenue. Her home may have been small, but it was hers. She won the house in a long divorce dispute with her ex-husband, John. It was no secret that John was making it very difficult to finalize the transition of title after the divorce. She told me that she was when she was having difficulty with her ex-husband, he had they had just gotten a divorce and he was supposed to sign the house over to her and she was having trouble getting him to do that. John and Sheila never had any children of their own. When they married, she had three kids from a previous marriage. There was David and Robert Simpson and their sister Dana, and John had a son named Shane. They all lived together for a while on Louise Avenue. There were ups and downs, just like with any family. John and Sheila were married for 16 years. John said it was great until the last year. Last year, she's got, she got really, it's a nice kind of melt together there. She uh, she talked to God in full conversations, talked to angels. John urged her to get treatment, but Sheila would refuse and say she didn't need it. 
In 2002, the police were involved in an incident at the house where they would refuse to Baker Act her. We even had family interventions. We had the police over there a few times. Well, not, that, not me. I might know what to call because I, by this time we were divorced. And the kids had people there. In fact, one got so confrontational that I left and let them carry on. But the police said they couldn't even Baker Act her because she was no threat to anybody or herself. It was just, she was just going off. In February of 1995, Sheila filed for divorce from John Foe, but they didn't separate until over six years later in October of 2001. Just a short month later, they were divorced. Sheila was awarded the house on Louise Avenue in the divorce, which didn't make John very happy at all. Just 10 days after the divorce, John filed a contempt motion to regain the house lost in the divorce. It wasn't until July of 2002 just a couple of months prior to her death, John was court-ordered to provide Sheila with a deed. She kept putting it off, and we had problems, and then we had financial problems. I said I would pay for all closing, and then I ran out of money. Uh, so it just never ended up getting done. In fact, we were supposed to go and reclose. We were hoping get by the end of the month, but, but I, I have, other than... My name's on the loan, but it's not the house. I already signed it over to her. She's got full deed. He worked Thursday before Sheila's death, came home around 6 p.m., fed his animals, and then doesn't remember what he did that night. So you worked Thursday and you got home around 5 o'clock? No, 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 I get home around close to 6. It's in the poor car traffic. It's very good coming down the oh, from Cape. Okay. Do you live with anybody? No. So you got home at 6 o'clock on Thursday? Yeah, pretty close to it. Okay. What did you do for the rest of the night? I took care of my animals. Did you go anywhere else on Thursday? No. What kind of car do you have? I've got a uh, white Chevy van. Had you um, been drinking on Thursday? I drink pretty much every night. Every night? Okay. Are you sure you didn't have to you didn't have to go anywhere, not even to the store? I may have gone down the store, I don't know, but I, I, I can't remember. Following the murder of Sheila Foe, on October 5th, 2002, John would receive threatening phone calls telling him to stay out of it. Basically, they asked me if I was John, then it was really hard to make out a lot of stuff. But it only lasts about 10 seconds, they asked. They told me that I needed to get out of my ex's uh, business, stop checking around, and then more gargling and stuff, and then something about that I would find out why if I didn't. On October 6th, his dogs were brutally attacked. One of the dogs would die as a result of its injuries. Again, about four o'clock in the afternoon, we got home. Uh, thought it was strange, my dogs weren't barking, so I went out to check on them. I found one had a long slice between the shoulder and neck and was dead laying on the ground in the back of my truck, my other truck. And then my other one was underneath the porch, half beaten to death. Since then, have you received any other phone calls? No, I haven't received any calls. John was also in the news once before when he was lost at sea. One person said John was never right after the traumatic experience. John's crazy. John crazy enough to shoot his ex-wife? He might be. 
Or one time he kicked me out of the yard, told me he's got 2,000 cameras all through the yard. Did you hear about him? He's, I'm sure I did some kind of follow up about him. He got lost at sea. And that sent him slap crazy. Can't sit there and have a straight conversation with him. Get halfway into a conversation. All of a sudden he's talking about police watching his yard and he's got cameras, FBI. Talking all this crazy crap. That's Justin Teston. When it comes to taking another person's life, nine times out of ten, it's either a crime of passion or someone the family knows. In this particular case, Sheila's family and friends started to suspect Justin Teston. Justin was a childhood friend of Robert Simpson. They ran together and even were roommates at one time. Robert was just not too long ago, about two months ago, living at the missions, and I needed a place to stay. He needed a place to stay, so I saved up my money. He was supposed to go in 50-50 with me, and I got 90 bucks saved up. And he only had 10, so I went ahead and got the apartment on Palmetto. He lived there with me for about a month. But Justin and Robert weren't always close. One time, Robert and the landlord stole the rent money from Justin. At that point... That's when I told him I'm going to beat his ass if he does something stupid. At that point, he took $40 from me. Yeah, and then I, about an hour after that, after he left, I was like, mm, we'll check something. Went upstairs, went into the box, the rent money box that only me and him knew where it was at. We're the only one. Looked over and so I was like, all right, we'll find out when he comes back tomorrow. I waited two and a half weeks up to now. Justin had no problem showing his displeasure for Sheila Foe. During his initial interview, Robert Simpson, Sheila's son, told his investigator that Justin Teston once said he wanted to kill Sheila. Why Justin was been mad at my mom for a while because me and, my mom, me and Justin used to do a lot of crazy stuff together. And my mom told me to stop hanging around. And Justin's always said, well, your mom better just leave me alone. Stop putting me into things. And at one point, he's like, man, your mom's just going to make me kill her. That's what it is. Your mom's just going to make me kill her. On the day of the murder, Teston just happened to be in the neighborhood, saw the commotion at the house on Louise Avenue, and took a stroll over. Justin not only told the detectives that he was there, he was noted by one of the sheriffs at being at the property. When you walked up there, what'd you, who'd you see that you knew? I seen David, Robert's brother. That's the only one I really went and talked to. That's the only one. I went there and talked to him. I talked to John. And John just kind of looked right through me. It was kind of, I said, man, John, what happened? What's going on? That's the first person I seen. He was just like looking at me with like a stare like right through me, like he didn't even see through me. Was he there out of curiosity, or was he there for another reason? The question still remains. Who would be welcomed into the home of Sheila Foe? Did she know her killer? There were no signs of forced entry at the Louise Avenue home. And when David arrived at his mom's house, the front door was shut. David Simpson wasn't the only one that noticed the door was shut. During one of the interviews, Sheila's co-worker, Rick Blaney, remember him? He remembers going up to the house that morning after the murders before anyone else was there and knocking on the closed door. And then I got out and went up and knocked on the door. Rick had never gone to the door before, even though this wasn't the first time Sheila wasn't there to be picked up. Did you ever take her home all the way to the house? No. Did you ever pick her up at the house? No. So you knocked on the door. What did you hear? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Did you hear the dogs barking at that time? No. 
You don't remember dogs barking when you knocked on the door? No. Not at all. Remember the logs we spoke about earlier? The logs for the day that Sheila wasn't there mainly because she was killed the night before? Well, those logs were somehow magically completed. The only discrepancy I could find is looking at some of her worksheets. I don't know if maybe being ignorant of, of how these things are, are ran by, by you and the other employees here, maybe you can explain, but uh, you said she wasn't in the office all day on the 13th, but I have a daily worksheet that said that she was. It shows a, a, a trip, trip sheet here showing mileage and things of that nature, and also date of the 13th, it shows what's consistent with all the other ones, like line one, she was in the office, line two, she was at trap line B4, I'm not sure what that, I guess it's a location, Yeah. and then office again, which would be normal and consistent with all the other ones, but it's dated on the 13th. Unless she could have dated it wrong, that's all I can think of. I'm going through all these, and I, I mean, I have them right here in front of me. She didn't come in this morning, to my knowledge. I have them right here in front of me, and they're all, as you can see yourself. I mean, you got the 9th, you got the 10th, you got the 11th, 12th, 13th. They're all right in order. I have no idea. But she did not come into the office. That was Walter Golden, another co-worker of Sheila Foe. Logs completed by a dead woman. Who completed her logs? Why were these logs completed? A question that still remains unanswered. This cold case is still active with the Lee County Sheriff's Office. We are currently following up on tips and obtaining statements of those who may know something of Sheila Foe's untimely death. If you or someone you know may have information about this crime, please reach out to Lee County Sheriff's Office Major Crimes Unit at 239-477-1000. You can also call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. You could remain anonymous and may receive a cash reward. Please subscribe and follow our podcast as we may update this this case and others at any given time. Thank you for listening to this edition of Seeking Closure, Lee County's Cold Cases.